0: clock if you can make it. Okay, today we're going to continue in our series on Philippians, and I want to kind of profess a, funda- a foundational premise for our series today, and it comes from Romans eight twenty eight. Uh, before I do, let's just go over the, the definition of biblical joy. Joy in Christ consists of a deep and abiding confidence that all is well, regardless of circumstances and difficulties. Now, biblical joy is always related to God, and it belongs only to those who are in Christ, right? It is the permanent possession of every believer. Would you please read the definition out loud with me? Joy in Christ consists of the deep and abiding confidence that all is well, regardless of circumstance and difficulty. Okay, so this doesn't mean that we don't grieve. This doesn't mean that we don't bleed when you cut us. This doesn't mean that we don't struggle because we do struggle here on planet Earth. We are deeply affected and impacted by the things that happen around us and in us. It means that we have a hope that carries us through, that defies understanding. It means that we have Jesus Christ in our lives, in our hearts, and in our minds. And his presence is the one that sustains us and brings us out the other side of our circumstances. So this begs a question, you know, does God allow difficult things to happen in our life? Obviously he does, but he isn't necessarily the cause of every difficult thing in your life. The scripture says God is not the author of evil. So can I tell you something? If anything evil comes your way, it's not from God. Can you say that with me? Let me just say this first. If anything evil comes my way, it's not from God. Boy, you actually, I was expecting you to say what I said, and you kind of did the response. That was cool. If anything evil comes my way, it's not, it's not from God, because God is not the author of evil. Here's another scripture we count on God does not tempt. If you are tempted, it's not from God, it's from the evil one. Well, then, Jeff, why does he allow these things to happen? That's a great question. It's answered in this thing called free will. You see, God has given us the ability to choose him or to choose our way, to choose the way of heaven or choose the way of the world. And these things come to us at times not based on anything that we've done. They just come as a result of evil at work in the world around us. But sometimes they come also as a result of things that we have done. And we experience unnecessary pain in our lives because we don't obey God. And so we need to sort these things through with the spirit of God, the word of God, and the people of God, Help us understand, God, is this a necessary pain that I'm suffering right now? There's just pain that comes to you that's necessary, folks. There's nothing you can do about that pain except to cling to the hand of Jesus Christ and to hold on to Him in everything. But there is pain in our lives that sometimes is unnecessary. You know, some people struggle with their finances and they're like, I'll never get out of this ditch. Well, can't you get me out of it, Lord? Like, get me out by the end of next week. And I'm like, well, how long did it take to get into it? Well, about 20 years. And you want God to get you out by the end of next week. I mean, he can do that, but guess what? He probably won't. You know why? He wants you to trust him. And he wants you to actually repent of your ways and turn to his ways because you've charged up your credit cards and you've spent other kinds of other people's money, and you have a problem that you've created. Can you say this with me? I have a problem. And my problem is sin. Can you imagine what life would be like in our country if our politicians learned to say that? (laughs) Serious, folks. Can I tell you something? Humility, it's not a common trait. You look at the world stage and you look at the leaders of our country and throughout. I don't see a lot of humble people. I see them every once in a while, sprinkled in and out, but it seems like they're swimming in a sea of pride and self-defensiveness and self-justification? Can we just bow our heads before God as we walk through our lives and say, God, I have a problem, and my problem is sin, and you are the answer, Lord Jesus Christ, and I count on you. You see, um, joy is not the absence of suffering. As Christians, we grieve, we mourn, we feel the depth of pain and affliction from living in a very broken world. But we do not grieve like those who have no hope. See, we have hope. Now look, if you have pain that you've caused and you're here this morning, you're in a great place. You know why? God's mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So regardless of what's pain that came to you or pain that you kind of caused because of your own sinfulness and your own choices, Jesus Christ is the answer because he is our ultimate hope. And him alone, hope is found. And while it may be extremely difficult times, God is at work in the circumstances around you every day. And that's what we're going to look at in Paul's life today. You see, Paul had some extraordinary circumstances. We talked about this last time. And today we're going to talk about three his chains, his critics, and his crisis. I want you to understand something before we even get started here today, that Paul's circumstances manifest themselves in a unique, unique way. I read a list of things that Paul had gone through last week, and none of us were able to raise our hand and say, yeah, I've gone through something like that. But I want you to understand something. When we talk about Paul's chains, you have chains of your own. When I talk about Paul's critics today, you have critics of your own. Anybody say amen to that? When I talk about Paul's crisis, you have crises of your own. And we need to listen to God through his word to attend to us. We give him our attention and we ask in the name of Jesus that you would unlock our understanding as to how you use our chains, how you use our critics, Lord, and how you use our crisis to further your gospel and to strengthen us to be found in you by others. So how we attend to these things with God, one large part, determine whether or not we have this confident sense of well-being. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. Can you say that? The joy of the Lord is our strength. So listen, while I read out loud from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, and this foundational piece you need to hold on to from Romans 8. For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Now, if I give you a memory verse this week, this is the one. So say it out loud for me, please. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, again, this scripture isn't saying that God causes all things. What it's saying is for those of us in Christ Jesus, he uses all things everything in your life God will use to good if you love him and you're called according to his purpose. Now that defies understanding sometimes because you go, Jeff, I don't know how God's gonna use this. This is so horrifying, this is so evil. I mean, I understand, I really do. I shared some things from my life last week that just drove me to my knees before the Lord. If there is anything in your life that that drives you to your knees before the Lord, God is already using it. Do you understand? He uses many things to bring us to a place of humility before him. And Paul had no exception to this truth. So I'm going to read from chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, last week, we said that Paul was beat up more times than you can imagine. I mean, with a cat-of-nine-tails, He was given the 40 minus 1 five times where Roman soldiers were hitting his back and pulling out pieces of sinew and bone and muscle with this horrible apparatus of torture. And he's saying, look, what's happened to me? The fact that I'm in prison now and he's writing this being chained to a Roman guard. He's saying, what's happened to me? It's actually served to advance the gospel. Well, right away, he's got a joyful outlook. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He's saying this, look, this is serving a purpose. And the reason why I'm in chains and the reason why I'm chained to this prison guard is for the purposes of Jesus Christ in my life. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and the sisters have become confident in the Lord. And dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. We're going to talk about that. It is true, in verse 15, that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so, out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Stop. Have you ever thought that somebody wants to stir up trouble for you raise your hand Now there is one named Satan and he wants to stir up trouble for you all the time But he uses people around you sometimes people even very close to you to stir up trouble And Paul is saying these folks that are preaching out of selfish ambition they're preaching Christ but they're so they're trying to stir up trouble for me this is personal towards him Listen to what he says But what does it matter For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Circle that, underline that, memorize that. If I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor to me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. This is the word of God. And there's much for us to learn from the Apostle Paul. Here's the first thing. God uses our chains. Can you say this after me? God uses my chains. Say that. Now listen, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Most people would look in on the Apostle Paul and they would go, that poor guy. You know, it would elicit sympathy. It would a limp. a kind of pity. And he says, "Look, what's happened to me? It's advancing the gospel. God cannot be stopped. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace garden and to everyone else that I am chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Let me ask you a question: Are you afraid of proclaiming the gospel? Some of you might go immediately. Well, no. Well, let me ask you to go through your life and all the touch points. How about at work? Oh, Jeff, you don't understand. Like, I would get fired if I shared the gospel at work. That means you're afraid. Well, how about like in, in school? Like, you know, uh, you're a student here, and you're. How can you, are you afraid to? Like, Jeff, you don't understand. That's not allowed there. You're afraid. Well, how about at the PTA meeting? Or how about at some kind of gathering in the community? Are you afraid to share the gospel there? Let me ask it a different way. Are you afraid to show the gospel there? Because you not only share the gospel, you show the gospel. You see, Jesus Christ lives in you, and when people encounter him in you, they should note something that is remarkably different than the world around them. It's the joy and hope and peace that you have in Christ. Now, some people are saying, well, I'm okay showing it, but I can't say it. Can I tell you something? That falls short of what God wants for us. He wants to be those of us who proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, look, Paul was actually in chains. He, he, he was chained to a Roman guard. And if you understand what's going on in the Roman guard, it's 24-7 that he was chained to a guard and he was in prison. This is the way they did it. And those guards took six-hour shifts. So you've got to understand something. He was definitely in prison for his faith, that's clear, and he was chained to somebody out. And yet he sees this as an opportunity to further the purpose of God. He didn't complain about his chains. He saw them as an opportunity to advance God's purpose. And Paul shared and showed the gospel, not just with his words, but he had an apparently different way of living life than those around them. Now think about this, there's a Roman guard, chained to Paul, they didn't realize that these chains were gonna release Paul more than bind him. To your chains? You see, do you allow God to use your chains to release you more than bind you? Let's give you a couple examples. Paul had new contact with a loss that he had not had before. Look, he had 24 hours of guards and they did six hour shifts. Does so that mean he was chained at least to a man Every four, six hours, that meant four men a day that Paul could witness to. Now, could I ask you something? Can you imagine being chained to somebody who was like Paul, and you knew nothing about Jesus Christ or God? You're chained to a guy who prays without ceasing. You're chained to a guy who sings psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in his heart to God. You're chained to a guy who considers it pure joy whenever he faces trials of many kinds because he knows the testing of his faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that he would be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Can you imagine that you hate God and you are chained to this guy? Don't you think something would begin to work at you a little bit, maybe gnaw at you a little bit? Sure, you could choose to beat him up, But that's been done so many times already and it doesn't change anything. It only makes him more courageous. So you can punch the guy and he just sings another chorus of amazing grace. (laughs) So what do you do? Well, you tolerate him. But yet something inside of you begins to burn. And something inside of you begins to nudge your heart and you go, I want what this guy has. You see, if you're chained to somebody who's filled with joy and you are joyless and their joy cannot be affected by you, then eventually you might be affected by their joy, don't you think? You see, Paul's chains were used by God to bear witness to others that his joy was not circumstantial. And the word spread throughout the whole palace guard and to many other people. Let me explain something to you. When we belong to Jesus Christ, we have the awesome honor of sharing the gospel. But we also have the awesome honor of showing the gospel. And Paul is doing both. He's sharing and he's showing. Can I tell you something? Those who share without showing are just like a big mouth. You know, there's no arms, no hams, no legs, and all that's left is a big mouth. And we yap, yap, yap about the gospel. But then we live in a way that is completely contrary to God's heart for people. I've struggled with this in my own life, but I really struggle when I see other people do it too. They approach issues like homosexuality or other things that are like political kind of footballs right now, the whole transgender thing, and they handle a biblical issue in an unbiblical way. You know what they do? Is they start hammering people with their biblical perspective. Do you know that that is abiblical? The scripture says, if you see somebody who's caught in the snare, you who are righteous should restore them gently, but be careful that you yourself do not fall. And so, what happens is we end up saying all this biblical stuff, but now we're looking like a screaming Mimi, whatever a screaming Mimi is. You see, God was working through our brother Paul to witness not only through words, but through heart to these prison guards. Why? Paul never struck back. He never lifted a hand to any one of these guys. And yet they would bludgeon him. They would do all these horrible things about them. You see, God gave him access to people who didn't know Jesus Christ through his chains. And can I tell you something? He does the same thing for you. You just got to pay attention. He not only gave him access to those who needed to be saved, he gave courage to the saved Through Paul, listen, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord, and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Listen, you see, other believers were hearing about Paul's faith, and despite his circumstances, when they heard about how he was living his life, they were ramping up their game. You see, it incited in them to become more gutsy and to start to proclaim Jesus Christ even more. Listen very carefully to this. Fear is contagious can you say that fear is contagious but say this after me but so is courage when someone who is in the faith is around you and they see you acting boldly for the cause of the gospel especially in a circumstance where you normally wouldn't do that and where fear is surrounding you you know what happens inside of them the holy spirit wells up and they go yeah i can do that too you see, and start, people start walking more boldly and more courageous and more fearlessly. And can I tell you something? The enemy of this world is telling people of faith in Christ to shut up in this culture. Do you know that? We are being told to go to church possibly, but keep your little mouth shut and do not proclaim Jesus Christ in this world because his name is very unpopular. You do know that, right? But you know what? Courage is Contagious. And if you start actually like demonstrating courage in Christ and sharing the gospel and showing the gospel with people around you, you will incite in others the ability to do the same thing. People of God will follow Jesus through you. You know what courage? When you encourage somebody, you know what it means? It means to infuse them with courage. As I always think of the lion from, uh, what was that movie? Courage, you know that one? Wizard of Oz, thank you. Yeah, I just, I guess I want to forget the name because I never liked the flying monkeys, man. They freaked me out. Anybody get freaked out by them as a kid? Anybody? Oh my gosh, my little pretty. I was like, oh. I needed Jesus for sure. I mean, that was scary stuff. But you see, the lion was lacking courage, and many of us are lacking courage. And, and we're letting the evil one, the ruler of this world, We're letting him control our mouths. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who's supposed to control your mouth. So if he says, speak my name, you speak his name. If he says, share my gospel, you share his gospel. I know that it's scary. I know that there's much at stake, but I know this. Your life is but a vapor. And the question is, who and what are you living for? We're gonna talk about that in a few minutes. So what are your chains? Oh, Jeff, I'm not chained to a Roman guard. No, you're not. But what are the places where you feel trapped? What are the places where you feel pinned down or bottled up? Maybe it's something you've caused, or maybe it's something that's been inflicted upon you. Maybe it's a relationship that you feel like, I'm just in bondage here. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe you've been diagnosed with something and you're ill And it just feels like you are trapped. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's something else in your life. Whatever it is that you feel has pinned you down, I can guarantee you that God wants to use it to further his purpose in your life. You see, wherever you feel trapped, there's often opportunities for relationships. The circumstance of feeling trapped by an illness. You know, I had a stroke a number of years ago and then I broke my ankle really badly a year and a half ago. I've been through a few things of late, nothing in comparison to some of you. But can I tell you, I have visited a lot of doctor's offices, a lot of hospitals, a lot of laboratories, a lot of x-ray machines, a lot of CAT scans. Does anybody love to go get a CAT scan? I don't really love going to those places. But you know what? Every time I've gone, the Lord says, pay attention. I'm bringing you to a place that needs me. There are a few people here that know me, but there are a lot of people here who don't. So listen up boy, I'm going to infuse you with courage. Just take some steps of faith. So I was reflecting back on some of the times that Tracy and I were, you know, in the emergency room and a doctor is trying to relocate my ankle for the third time, yanking and twisting it. You know what I would do? I would scream and then we would laugh. She'd yank on it, ah, scream, and I'd go, ha, 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 Tracy's laughing. We'd laugh together, and there's a bunch of nurses in the room looking around going, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> I remembered that. I remembered our daughter coming to us at one point when we'd been in the hospital for hours, and she goes, don't you see what's happening? I said, what are you talking about? She said, people around you are seeing Jesus in you seeing something different in you. You're loving them even though you're severely wounded. What is up with that? You see, that, that's an opportunity. How many of you, when you go to a doctor's waiting room, find it to kind of be similar to a very dreary environment? I'll tell you, these places, you to, everybody's reading a magazine in a different corner, right? They're all sitting there. Everybody's quiet, just waiting for their turn. But sometimes that wait is a long wait. There's a lot of people in there. So I remember a few months ago, the Lord just moves it upon me to start talking to someone from across the room. And I did. And we started a conversation, and guess what? We started laughing. And guess what happened? Within five minutes, the whole waiting room was laughing. That doesn't happen usually. You're like, Jeff, people just don't do stuff like that. You do. You're set apart for the glory of God. So you know what you do? Then you just laugh with everybody in the waiting room and on the way out. You say something like, God bless you, my new friends. You see, just point up. You don't have to get up and give a message standing on your chair right there. You can just plant a seed. And they might connect your joy and your willingness to initiate with the fact that you have a relationship with God. If you don't think God uses stuff like that, think again. Count the number of times God has used stuff like that in your life to lead you into a relationship with him. See, God calls us to be people who are set apart and different than those around us. And God uses your chains to help you understand that there is a whole new environment. Maybe you feel chained to the breakfast table. You sit across the breakfast table from the same spouse you've had for years and it's the same cold breakfast every morning. And I'm not talking about the temperature of the food. I'm talking about the temperature of your heart. Break the cycle, man. Break the cycle. Don't just sit there through another locked up, entrapped, chained breakfast. You are a free person in Jesus Christ. Speak words of life and joy. Look, if you do this for the first time in 10 years, your spouse might have a cardiac but they might at least push themselves away from the table or they might look at you with great suspicion and say, what are you trying to do? I'm just trying to follow Jesus. Hey, sorry it's been so so cold. I love you and I wanna live differently. Folks, sometimes that's all it takes. You see, you might be chained in a number of different ways and I don't know what they are for you, but I can tell you this. God will use it if you see it through his eyes. You're saying, well, I just got to change jobs. Well, in the meantime, before you change your job, change your heart. Allow God to change your mind. See it as a mission field. See it as an opportunity for you to grow, to become more like Jesus. I can guarantee you, if you change your attitude and your eyes are focused on Christ, he will bring joy in time. But you got to trust him. God not only uses our chains, but he also uses our critics. How many of you have ever been criticized? Yeah, like if you're on planet Earth and you're walking, that's been true. You're like, yeah, just this morning. A lot of us get criticized frequently. And a lot of us take those criticisms very personally. I'm one who can do that. I can take a criticism very personally. Um, but, you know, there's not only these, these are not the places you feel trapped. These are the people who want to cause you trouble. And Paul had plenty of them. Listen, anyone who is following Jesus Christ and walking in his ways will be criticized, period. I'm going to say that again. Anyone who is walking in the way of Jesus Christ and following him will be criticized, period. You know why? The world stands opposed to you. Why? Because it stands opposed to him. And you are going to get criticized, Look, this is why we see churches that are bearing fruit for the kingdom of Cobb come under scrutiny even by other people who call themselves Christians when there's nothing there to find. And they're trying to find some way to undermine those people. That's what's happening for Paul. He's preaching the gospel, and other people are preaching the gospel. But guess what? They are envious of Paul. They're jealous of him. Why? Maybe because there's more people coming to Christ through him than through them. So they're like, oh, we've got to criticize him because surely there's something wrong with what he's doing and they're trying to cause trouble for him because they're jealous. Jelly, jealous, that's a cool word. <laughs> I don't know where these words come from, Lord. Some of them are really funny. I told Tracy the other day. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was praying the other day on my knees in the morning, and I asked God to fill me with his holy Spirit. And we laughed together. God and I laughed together for a good 10 minutes about that one. <laughs> I was like, Holy spearmint, that's freaking awesome. I love <laughs> spearmint anyway. <laughs> then I went to the scripture, and you know, spearmint's in the scripture. And then God showed me some verses about tithing and about giving and about giving a tenth. And it got me question what we give. And then I went on a journey with Jesus. See, it was a laugh. And then there was a point of conviction and, and moving. And I love how the Lord speaks to me that way. You see? But if you're, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to get criticized. And Jesus said this, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they are going to persecute you. How many of you like to be persecuted? Not a one. But the scripture is clear that you should consider it pure joy when you are persecuted for the cause of Christ because then you know Jesus Christ is at work in and through you. Look, if they were going to round up Christians today and lock us up because we were too joyful, would there be enough evidence in your life to convict you? Like, that's a great question for all of us. Years ago, Tracy and I were getting hammered. Um, you know, we've had our fair share, probably less than other people, but more than some others. And we were getting hammered by some talk you know, and the talk was, you know, real negative and we heard it coming back to us. And obviously that hurts you when people criticize you and they talk about you behind your back and so on and so forth. And then a friend of us, a friend of ours who was listening to us talk about how we were being torn down, said these life-changing words to us. She looked at us and she said, well, if they're talking about the two of you, at least it means they're not talking about anybody else. And I went, well, that is really the most uncaring thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Remember? I said, you're thoughtless in my heart. I'm like, that's so thoughtless. How, how unsympathetic can you be? Can you at least give us some pity? Give us something. And then I sensed the Holy Spirit say, Jeff, listen up. She's right. If these people are that toxic and they're talking about you, then I am using you to save other people from pain. And I went, oh, can you use somebody else?" He said, I could, but I've chosen you. You see? You see, it's like the picture illustration I gave you last week. When you snap a a group shot, who's the first person you look at? You. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Because you're number one in your book. (laughs) But you know, it kind of sunk into my heart. It was like, oh, yeah, these people are toxic. and, And if they're ripping us down... Well, that means some other people are not getting ripped down right now. Praise you, God. Thank you, God. You see, it inclined my heart to thanksgiving and gratitude, and then as a result of that, joy kind of rushed in. I said, thank you for allowing me to share in your sufferings, Jesus. You see, that, that opens up a whole nother realm. Now, some of you are thinking, I, I don't know. Jeff, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I, I get hurt really easily. See, what happens when people talk about you is, in a negative way, it It, hurt, it hurts you. Now, some of us have thicker skins than others, but those people that have thicker skins sometimes have harder hearts. So it's a tension, right? You're supposed to have a soft heart and a thick skin, and only Jesus Christ can give you that, because his heart is so soft, but his skin is so thick. He doesn't get bothered by anything while he's gone, <laughs> Which is amazing. So those of us who follow after him, we get that thick skin, but we keep a soft heart. You know what happens when people talk negatively about us? We get hurt, and when we get hurt, we get afraid. So we get afraid. What do we get afraid of? We get afraid that our reputation will be tarnished before others. We get afraid that we won't have the opportunity to set the record straight with those around us about these mistruths that are being spoken. We get afraid that people will believe the things that are being said. We get afraid, and that is the operative word. We get afraid. Now listen, King David, he was very familiar with this phenomenon of people acting against him, talking against him, criticizing him, ripping him down. He had people speaking all kinds of evil and falsehoods about him all the time. And his answer was found in a singular focus. His focus in his eyes were on God and God alone. And that's where our focus must say, if we're not going to give our joy away to our critics. Listen to what he says in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fail. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock, and my head will be exalted above my enemies who surround me. And at his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord you see what he's saying? He's saying, Lord, you are my light and my salvation. You are the stronghold of my life. I'm not going to be afraid of anyone. Why? Because I have you. So people can say all kinds of evil things about me. They can advance against me to devour me with their words and with whatever it might be. Yet I will remain confident. Why? Because you will hide me in the shelter of your sacred tent. One thing I ask of the Lord. This only do I seek. I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I would gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. Then he will keep me safe in the shelter of his dwelling. He says, then in his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy and I will sing and make music to the Lord for he's gonna take my head and he's gonna exalt my head above that of my enemies who surround me. You know what happens when you trust God when people are criticizing you? He takes you to a higher And he holds your hand, and he goes, I've got you. I love you. I know you. Trust in me. And as you keep your eyes focused on me, everything else comes strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Right? So Paul's able to say, what does it matter that people are criticizing me? You know why he's able to say that? Because he knows how much God loves him. Do you know how much God loves you? Spend time in His Word, with His Spirit, and with His people, and understand the depth of God's love for you. I can guarantee you this you will get a whole lot thicker skin, and you will get a whole lot softer heart because you'll become more like Jesus. Look, this fall at Grace, we're going to be taking some giant steps of faith together. That's just a little teaser for you. We're going to follow the vision the Lord has laid on upon the heart of the elders. And with these steps of faith have come some great insecurities. Most of all about what other people will think. You know, sometimes I get my head filled with shaking thoughts of fear. Anybody with me? Yeah, this place up here is really crazy sometimes. What happens if if this happens? Lord, what will people think if this happens? What will they say? What will they do? And, And I'm all mixed up in this whole thing, and I'm fearing man. And the scripture says, the fear of man proves to be a snare, but those who trust in the Lord will be kept safe. So the Lord comes in in his gentle way, and he says, well, Jeff, if that happens, you'll just thank me. What? Well, Lord, what if this happens? Well, you'll thank me. But what if they say this? Well, then you'll thank me, Jeff. You mean like I can just trust you? Yes, Jeff, I'm sovereign in control of all things, and I love you, and I've got you. I've got this. Let it go. Let it go. But God... No, Jeff, there's no buts. I mean, you can cling to it if you want, but it's exhausting you. Let it go. Look, Jeff, you don't know the future, but I'm the one who holds the future, and I hold you. So trust me, I'm not gonna give you the whole roadmap. If I did, you would run away terrified. I'm just gonna tell you the next right step. You know, over the years of grace, people have said negative things about us. I've heard them. One of the most favorite ones I've heard is that people, when they come up here and they go, Oh, they drank the Kool Aid. That's a very pleasant and encouraging reference, isn't it? Heard people spread lies about our theology. Horrible lies about our theology. Those make me mad. Righteously so. But you know what? What does it matter? The Lord's got us, He's got us together. And, and you know, Paul models that God uses chains and critics to further his gospel purpose in us. And he also uses our crisis. So, look, I want to make an illustration here. And by the way, thank you if you posted to this Facebook because I ripped it off. So, you know, appreciate that this week. Here's a question How much do you think this bottle weighs? Hey, God, you can answer it. One pound. One pound. Anybody else? So, I hear three pounds. <laughs> it's about five. About five pounds. Now, if I were to hold this out in front of me for a few minutes like this, what would happen? Probably nothing. I mean, a few minutes. I mean, I'd make a little tired. How about if I was to hold it for a few hours? My arm would get very, very tired. It would ache. How about if I were to hold it for a few days? Yeah, Joe's like, you couldn't, bro. You couldn't. If I were to try and hold this for a few days, can you imagine what my arm would feel like? it would feel like falling off. Now, can I tell you something? The weight of the the bottle didn't change. What changed was how long I held on to it. You see, you're not supposed to hold on to these things, son, daughter of God. You are not to try and hold them on your own. You are told to cast all of your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. So some of you, are living life like this, you've got weights in both hands and you're walking around carrying all of your critics with you, you're carrying all of your crises with you, you're carrying everything, your chains, and you're trying to manage it on your own and the Lord is saying, let me have it, let me have it. If you do, you will experience life and life abundantly, if you do, you will experience peace that surpasses understanding, if you do, you will experience my joy a confident sense of well-being that defies your circumstances. But yet so many of us are trying to hold on. Listen to Paul's words. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The Apostle Paul was willing to let go of everything, including his own life, his very own life. He faced the greatest crisis known to mankind. It's called death. And last I looked, the mortality rate is still at 100%. Every single one of us will someday die. Some people are so afraid of dying that they never live. And God is calling us to trust him in such a way that he delivers us from this fear. Paul said that life was found in two words and in one person. Jesus Christ. For me to live is Christ. Let me ask you a question. What would you put in that blank? Honestly, if you were to honestly sit back and say, where do I find most life? What would you put in there? What do you look forward to the most? What do you think about most of the time? What do you get excited about most of the time? If you were to actually be honest before the Lord, what would you put in that blank? i got to tell you, some days for me to live is food. Some days for me to live is money. Some days it's golf. Other days it's Sex. For some of you, it might be a boyfriend. Others, it might be a girlfriend. Some of you, it might be a wife or a husband. I don't know what you're placing your hope in, but I can tell you this. If you are placing your hope in someone or something other than Jesus Christ, you will never have the joy of the Lord. But if you put him first, if you put him first in your life, you will find what the people of God have found across the millennium, that everything else falls into its proper place, and even death itself has lost it's sting, Because you know someday you will eject out of your earth suit and you will go home to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. Amen. I'm going to close today with a reading. I'd like to ask if we just dim the house lights a little bit. I found this reading years ago written by a Rwandan man in 1980. You see, he he was forced by his tribe to either renounce Christ or to die. That's the same thing that Paul faced. And he refused to renounce Christ and was killed on the spot. The night before, he had written a personal commitment to God called the Fellowship of the Unashamed. And I want to share this with you today. And as I'm reading this, If there's any point in time where you go, I want to be that sold out for Jesus, I just want you to stand. I just want you to stand and say, I'm in. God, I I can't do it in my own strength, but I'm in. I want to give everything I have for you in light of what you've done for me. I want to give it all. Listen to his words. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast, I have stepped over the line, the decision has been made, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, I won't let up, I won't slow down, I won't back away, and I will not be still. My past is redeemed, my presence makes sense, and my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sightwalking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence. I no longer need prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I now lean by presence, I live by faith, I love by patience, I lift by prayer, and I labor by the power of God. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, the way is rough, my companions are few, my guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought. I cannot be compromised. I will not be deterred. Lord, away. Turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. Hesitate in the presence of adversity. Negotiate at the table of the enemy. Ponder at the pool of popularity. Or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am a disciple of Jesus. And I must go until heaven returns. Give until I drop. Preach until all I know. And work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me because my colors will be clear. Lord Jesus Christ, these words are obviously words from someone who knew you very well. Just like our brother Paul Who is willing, Lord God, to face all the chaos of life around him, his chains, his critics, and his crisis, Lord God, and say, I'm fully yours, God. Have your way with me. So, Lord Jesus, we want this to be true of us. We ask in your precious name, make it so. For life is truly but a vapor, and there is no one or nothing worth living for except you. We thank you for your faithfulness. We pray this all in your precious name and the people of God said, amen. Let's all stand and sing together. One closing